Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, Sunday nights are special, and I'm so thankful that Phil is able to be with us tonight and lead singing for us tonight. We're sorry that Philip is under the weather. Uh, we're thankful that Phil is here and available, and just so you know, continue to pray for him. He'll be leaving Wednesday. Uh, to return back to his work in Latin America, I believe going to Panama first, and then maybe he can catch us up before service closes of the, the various stops along the way. Uh, but we love you dearly, Phil, and uh, we're so thankful uh, for the work that he's done here and continues to do in the Lord's kingdom and, and still touches our lives in a very powerful way. It's good to have our juniors and seniors home from the retreat that they were on this, this uh, weekend. I believe there was well over 30, almost 40 juniors and seniors on that retreat. And then our young marriage class was on a retreat and I hear that all these went well and it's good to have everybody back home. If you want to help and monetarily with the relief of Nepal, you can give in your Bible classes this coming Sunday morning. An envelope will be sent around and you can write the check out to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ and earmark it and uh, those gifts will be sent uh, to help our brothers and sisters as well as others in uh, that region of the world that are hurting so desperately since eight days ago of the earthquake. And so keep that in mind and plan on that next Sunday morning. Uh, we studied this morning about loving not only in word and in tongue, but loving in deed and in truth. And let's be sure that we generously uh, give to those uh, that are hurting and have lost so much at this particular time. We've been looking all year, this calendar year, at great expectations. What does God expect of us? We're very foolish if we live a life that just believes that I want to be a Christian and I want to say that I love God and I want to do a few religious things and some way I then have been everything that I need to be. So this year we've been giving the effort to say, what is it that God expects of us? And so this morning we began a month-long theme of God expects us to connect for life. Relationships that we share with God and with his family are relationships that he expects for us to have for an entire lifetime. I mentioned to you this morning how it breaks my heart to think in just the few decades that I've been in ministry, how many people I've seen come and go in the Lord and back out of the Lord and into the world. It's heartbreaking to think of how many people, either they weren't serious to begin with, or if they were, they became distracted or overcome they became very much a part of the world. I've shared this with you a while back, but I couldn't help but think about it again tonight. There was a time in my life where after a baptism, if it wasn't during the worship service, you know, we have a little tradition of coming here and standing in a circle and praying for the one that was baptized. I used to regularly say to those individuals, this is the most important day of your life. And then I did a few funerals. Funerals for individuals that at some time in their life they had been a faithful child of God, but then they left God. 
for whatever reason, their commitment to God was not for life. And so they died outside of Christ and in the depths of the world. And it's at times like that that I began to be convicted of the fact that the most important time of our life will be that last day that we breathe our last breath faithful to God. Tonight, if you're younger, I want you to look around at the brothers and sisters that sat around you that have been walking with the Lord for decades. And I want you to know something very clearly. Their journey has not been easy. That's not why they're still faithful today. It is because of their commitment that they are faithful today. And if you and I are just waiting for some problem that's bigger than our faith, if we're waiting for some temptation that's greater for our faith, and then I'm out of here, that problem and that temptation will come. But what about today if our commitment and our faith to God and the one who empowers us is greater than any of this that we face? I would love... I would count tonight one of the greatest successes of my life if every person left here tonight and said, I'm not turning my back on God no matter what the cost. No matter what I have to give up, I will die faithful to God. But how do you do it? One of the greatest characters in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. Perhaps one reason why it's easy to say that is not only because what we see him going through, but more is revealed about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament than almost any other individuals in the New Testament other than Jesus. And so we see the great success that he had as an apostle, as a preacher, as a missionary, but we also see the great success that he had as one who had this great fortitude, this great commitment, this great endearment to say, Lord, I want to stay with you and I'd give my life for you. And he did give his life for the Lord. But have you ever paused to say, how? Paul, how did you do it? I want that kind of faith. I'll be honest with you, the longer I live, the more Paul becomes a hero in my life. And I'm not saying taking the place of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying it's amazing to see a man of such character, of such focus, of such vision, of such commitment. And so I love to study passage. And if you will, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And if you're borrowing a Bible in our pew there, it's about 1,027 or 28. 1,027 or 1,028. And I'd like for you to notice as we look at this powerful chapter in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and I hope that you'll study this with me with open eyes and an open heart and, and, and a very honest mind that says... I want to learn from this apostle. By inspiration, he wrote some things that are reasons why we ought to continue. What are the reasons why we ought to continue? We'll mention some things to introduce the chapter, but then we'll especially mention three reasons out of the last three verses of this chapter. But you notice in the fourth chapter, in verse 1 and in verse 16, we have bookends about we do not lose heart. In verse 1, he says it like this, therefore, since, and by the way, the therefore is tying back to this ministry that he has in chapter 3 of preaching the new covenant. 
Brethren, we have something so much better than the old covenant. We have the hope that comes only through Jesus Christ. And Christ gave us not only his life, but then he gave us a covenant so that we would know what is his will for us. We don't have to go through life guessing. I wonder what's the right thing to do right here. I wonder what's the right purpose for my life. I wonder how I ought to live. This new ministry that's through this new covenant that Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 3 is powerful. So with that in mind, in chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, time back out of that covenant, as we have received mercy, what? We do not lose heart. That's a huge statement for a man who's undergoing crazy amounts of persecution. I hesitate to even say this to you, and I even wrestled with it as I was writing this lesson. I almost feel inadequate to preach on suffering. Because truth is, I don't know much about suffering. And I study a man like Paul, and I see immense pain, volumes of hurt and most of it was inflicted upon him because of his Christian faith. Not just because life comes with problems and not just because he went out and did things and the sowing and reaping brought problems into his life. A huge amount of his suffering was because he loved the Lord and committed his life to the Lord. And so when this man says, I don't lose heart, is it arrogance? Is it pride? Or is it commitment? Is it Paul's way of saying, I've thought about this. I've preached about this. I have given my life to making sure I do not stop. And I believe that it's almost like a battle cry. I believe it's almost like him saying, can I tell you what I want more than anything? Paul, share it with us. And he says, I think about this ministry that I have out of the new covenant of Jesus. And I know it's only by mercy, he says in verse one, that I, I get to be a part of this. But I'll tell you what I'm not gonna let happen. It's not gonna slip through my fingertips. I'm not gonna lose heart over this. And with that, he gives beautiful teachings about how, verse 2, he handles the word of God and how the gospel's been revealed in verse 3 and how in verse 5, that's what he preaches. He doesn't preach himself. And then he talks about really tough times in, in verse 8. I'm hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. In other words, Paul said, I don't really know why all this is happening to me, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, a lot of pain, but I'm not forsaken. Can you imagine people persecuting Paul and then saying, oh, where's your God now? Has your God forsaken you? No, my God has not forsaken me just because I'm persecuted. And then he even says, struck down, but not destroyed. I can't read that without thinking about a boxer. And last night, any of you that have been alive in America, you know about the big fight. And you, you, know, you know what it is to see individuals go in a ring and then one take what is almost a knockout punch. And you can imagine Satan has brought Paul all the way to the ground, struck him down. 
And you can see Paul lift up on his elbow and say, I'm not destroyed. My faith is not destroyed. And you can imagine this man spiritually getting himself up off the mat. You can imagine him staggering a little bit, but you can hear his conviction when he says, I will not lose heart. Now, Paul could have honestly said right here, one day you'll bring a blow to this body that will take my life. Enemy, Paul could say, you're going to bring a blow that I will die on the mat. But I will not die giving in or giving up. I will not lose heart. What a battle cry. And so it is with this that he says in 10 and 11 the same things. He just says it twice, I guess, for emphasis sake. And he says, always caring about in the body. Now notice, from here down to the end, he's going to, is it slightly or is it very intentionally? He's going to start bringing reference to the fact that we are made up of a physical body, but our physical body right now is the home of our soul. And the physical body is going to go through a whole lot on this earth. A lot of suffering, a lot of pain. But what has to endure is the soul must stay alive. Paul says, I'm not losing heart in that. And so notice how what he does right here. Caring, verse 10, always caring about in the body, what? That's the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. How was Paul caring the suffering of Jesus? His body bore the marks of suffering for the cause of Christ. And so just as you can look at the life of Jesus and say, look how Jesus lived, but also look how he was willing to suffer and die for the cause of Christianity. And then he teaches that through Peter that that was an example left for us that we also should be willing to suffer and to die. And Paul would say, yeah, my body, look at the scars on my back. Look at all the bruises. Look at the broken bones that didn't heal correctly. Look at my body. My body, I'm carrying the death of Jesus. As he suffered, my body proves that I have suffered also. And he says it's in that that then our body can manifest the life of Jesus. Brethren, this is not a light thing. This is a part of how do you finish? How do you not fall away? You don't have the right to stand up in the easy days and say, oh, I love to be a light for Jesus until you have made a commitment that says, I will suffer in my body for the cause of Christ, showing my likeness to his death. And when you're willing to suffer like that, he says, then you're willing to use your same body as an instrument of light for the manifestation of Jesus. We talked about this this morning, and let me just mention this tie-in. The reality is right now in America, not many of us suffer severe persecution for being a Christian. But have you made that commitment? I don't mean just about that specifically, but yes, including that. Have you made a commitment that says, I will not lose heart. You can take my job from me just because I'm a Christian and I'm not going to stop serving the Lord and living the Christian life. 
You can take possessions from me just because I'm a Christian, my Christian faith. I will not stop serving the Lord. You can harm me. You can harm my family. I will not stop serving the Lord until we're ready to carry in our body the suffering of the Lord, we're not ready to bear the manifestation of the Lord either. Notice how he says the same thing, in other words, verse 12, in verse 11, for we who live are always delivered what? To death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In 10 and 11, he covers them by two different angles. In 10, it's being carried about in the body. In verse 11, it's being delivered to death for Jesus' sake. In other words, the interesting thing about being carried is anything that you carry, you have the potential at any time you want to lay it down. And so Paul says, yes, I voluntarily carry the suffering of Jesus. Yes, at any time I can say, I don't believe in him. Don't hurt me. Don't scourge my back again. I deny Jesus. I lay down the suffering of Jesus. I don't want it anymore. And then the next verse, he's teaching the same thing, but this time he uses the word deliver. In other words, what happens when your commitment to the Lord is so strong that you say, Deliver me wherever you want to persecute me and I still will not give in. I'll carry it and I won't lay it down. You deliver me and I still will not lay down my commitment to the Lord. The two bookends. I will not lose heart. That brings us down to verse 16, at least in our lesson tonight. If you will, drop down to 16. Therefore, he said all of that, and now he's bringing this to a close, but it's not a one-verse close, it's a three-verse close here. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Let's pause there for a moment. Notice he again is going to separate here and address the outward man and the inward man, the physical and the spiritual. You remember in Ephesians 2 and verse 10 that we are a new creation created. We're a new workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Our inward man should be made anew. As a matter of fact, you've got your Bible open. Look down in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Here's how he would refer to that inward man in, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That new creation, yes, we see it by the way we live outwardly in our behavior, our life, but that new creation is a result of the inner person being renewed, being forgiven from spiritual death, being brought to spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And so notice, he shows us in, in 16 that what he values is that he values the spiritual over the physical. Okay, so now let's think about this. Are you and I going to finish with the Lord? 
Are we going to live our last day, breathe our last breath, and in that day, we would have lived for our Lord? How do we do it? We must value the spiritual over the physical. What's happening to the physical? Well, the physical, according to him here, the physical is every day perishing. One way to look at that is age. I just became your best friend, didn't I? You're a day older today than you were yesterday. You're a year older this year than you were last year. And the reality is this body is not intended to last forever. The aging process is so normal that everybody alive does it. And so the outward man is perishing. One of the greatest poems in the Bible is Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, for time's sake. I will not read it now, although it's very tempting to do. It's a very beautiful poem, if you want to call it that, but its beauty is not necessarily in the lesson that it teaches. It's just in the poetic nature of it. But it is a verse that shows how our aging process carries us to the point where we're afraid of almost cracks in the sidewalk and, and things that at one time were so easy for us to do or not easy to do. And, and it just describes the physical body aging. And so Paul, Paul looks and he says, and I'm, I'm applying this. It's not exactly what Paul's saying here, but by application it is. How much of your effort and your energy and your focus and your heart in life do you place on the physical? You can't be a finisher with the Lord if you place more emphasis in your life on the physical than you do the spiritual. Only those that they live for spiritual strength and focus are those that can finish. But there is another way that no doubt, and we've already hit on it all throughout this lesson. Also, when he's talking about that he's perishing, Paul received so much persecution that no doubt the persecution was harming his health. And so every day or every few days or every few trips, Paul could probably say, yeah, that, that new limp that I've received, it's because of that persecution I received on my last journey. My inability to stand straight with my back, it's, it's because of the persecution that I experienced. And someone could say, Paul, why are you doing this? Do you realize if you stay with the Lord and stay alive much longer, your physical body is going to be beat down to a pulp. He would say, that's all right. The outward man's perishing. But let me tell you what's happening to the inner man. The inner person is stronger than it's ever been. It's renewed. It's almost like the idea of reverse aging. It's, it's gotten younger and stronger. Can you say that? When you look at your spiritual life today and you compare it to a year ago, are you stronger? Compare your spiritual life right now to a season ago in life. Are you stronger? And listen, this isn't an exercise where I'll examine you and you examine the person next to you. Please get this. If right now you can honestly say, in the past of my life, I've been spiritually stronger than I am right now. That needs to be a warning signal for you to say, you know what? I want to concentrate more on the spiritual than I do the physical. Because the spiritual should be getting stronger all the time. There's not anybody here 
that has arrived spiritually. The maturation process goes until we die. And so to have that mindset of I want to constantly be focusing on the Lord and growing the inner person, getting closer and more like Jesus all the time, what a beautiful thought. But notice the second thing in verse 17, as, as we notice, we'll value the future over the present. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction... That's kind of funny in the context we're reading it. We'll come back. But for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, brother, we've already glanced back up in verse 8, 9, and 10. That didn't sound like light affliction. How can he call that light? And if we went over to 2 Corinthians 11th chapter, he gives that pretty lengthy detail of all the types of persecution that, that he chooses to list at that point in time in his life. And there was other persecution that came along later that's not recorded there. And so we say, Paul, how can you call those things light? And by the way, the, the Greek word here for light literally means weightless. It's the way we would say, nothing to it. How can Paul call all of this persecution light? It wasn't the power of positive thinking. I just, I just get my mind in a positive mindset and I don't even feel the pain. How could he call it light? He told us right here. It's because he put in a balance. At the first part of that verse, he says, I want to talk to you about the afflictions I have. And most of us, if we put Paul's afflictions in our life, we say the scale of that balance is going to come way down. But then on this other pan of the scale, he says, in this side, I put the eternal weight of glory. Future versus present. And he says, when I do that, this pan slams down so hard that it is as if nothing, light, weightless, nothing is in this pan. Paul says, it hurts to be scourged. How do you go through it? I think of the eternal glory that is waiting for me. It hurts to have your own countrymen mock you, call you names, berate you and belittle you. How do you do it? The weight of eternal glory. Let's look at one passage and then we'll come back and finish this. I know we're about to run out of time. Look at Romans, the eighth chapter. I just want you to see another place that he says this. This is so huge for us to grasp if we're going to finish. In Romans, the eighth chapter, we'll pick up in the middle of a sentence for time's sake. Look at verse 17 and then we'll go into 18 and think about how he describes the future and the present and what he's looking toward in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, this is Romans 8 and 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, notice we're going to suffer with him that we may also be what? Glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of when this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so in the previous verse, he says, listen, I know that I'm going to have to suffer in this present time with Christ. But think, he's going to be revealed. He's going to come through the clouds one day and we're going to rise up to meet him. And his glory it's going to be what our glory is going to be changed like unto. 
from glory to glory. We're going to be more like him than we've ever been. Way more than we've ever been on this earth. Paul literally looked forward to that eternal glory, that home where everything is perfect, everything is radiant. There's no influence of evil. There's no Satan and all the harm that he has done. There's no children being neglected or abused. There's no elderly people not being taken care of. There's no sin rampant anywhere. There's no back alleys. There's no darkness. There's no sad goodbyes. And there's no six feet under. There's no emergency rooms. There's no funerals. There is nothing bad. Not one ounce of influence of wickedness. And Paul says, I've been on this earth long enough. I know where I want to go. I want to go to that eternally glorious place. And so this horrific persecution that I suffer with Christ right now, it's just a present thing. My focus, my mind, my vision is on the future. My scales are heavy in the way to the future. You don't think you can handle it another week being a Christian at your job. Either find a new job or figure out how to see the eternal weight of glory when you go to work. You don't know how you're going to deal with a friend that is bringing you down. Either find a new friend or figure out how to see the eternal weight of glory that is waiting but everything in our life, if we live for the present, we make horrible mistakes. The farmer doesn't go out and plant a seed and look for a harvest on the same day. The composer doesn't begin his life looking for standing ovations, but he spends long hours writing bars of music and practicing with a symphony until one day the glorious time of his life comes when, when an audience comes alive. The doctor, he doesn't just wake up one day and someone give him a hug and says, you saved my husband's life. For the first 30 years of his life, he's in school. And he's working long days and long nights. All of the illustrations I've just given you, they fall short, but all they're trying to say is everything meaningful in life comes in its season. And what Satan wants to convince every one of us here he wants to convince us to believe that right now is what we ought to live for. How can you be comfortable now? How can everything be convenient now? How can I escape pain right now? When it may be, and it is, you may not escape this pain right now. But what if this pain is just a light affliction for the eternal weight of glory for which you long for? Now, as we close this lesson, I'd like for you to notice, we're going back again to 2 Corinthians 4. I'd like for you to notice verse 17 did not end with a period. So we're going to close it very quickly here and look in 18. The key words that I want to bring out is where he says, while we look. Now, he puts a do not between at first, but you'll see what I'm saying. Notice, while we do not look, in other words, if we're going to be able to see light affliction, that really is pretty heavy stuff, but we see it as light because we're comparing it to eternal glory. Notice this has to tie with it. While we do not look at the things which are seen, 
but the things which are not seen. In other words, he's saying, we look at the things that are not seen. The next sentence, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so he lays out verse 17 and we say, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to live for the weight of glory. And he says, okay, then you got to, in the very next chapter, in the, the fifth chapter, skipping up to verse seven is where he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. He says that very same verse in what we just read in verse 18. In other words, if you want to live for the eternal weight of glory, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to lift your eyes and stop living by things that you see and start living by faith. And so when all you can see or the, the physical things in life. When you live for your house, when you live for that perfect yard, when you live for that promotion, when you live for that, that name on the door, when you live for the number of zeros on your paycheck, none of those things are wrong if you're not living for them. But when that becomes what you're living for, when that's all you see, you're going to miss it. Somebody's going to do your funeral one day. And if they're an honest man, they're going to try to figure out how to say nice things without talking about your spiritual life. What about if you preach your own funeral? And what about if it can be truthfully said? He lived for the things that could not be seen. He or she lived for God the Father. God the Son, God the Spirit. They lived for the eternal reward. Everything they faced was in view of eternity. Short-term decisions always turn out bad. Eternal-viewed decisions are prosperous. And so tonight, will you join me, not in arrogance, but in commitment and say, I will not lose heart. I'm gonna value the physical over the spiritual. I'm gonna value the future over the present. I'm gonna value the eternal over the temporal. The only way we can do that is we do have to start. And starting with the Lord is a wonderful time. It's not the best day of your life, but it's a real important day. And if you're not a child of God, we're about to sing a song of encouragement and we would love to see you immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins. Maybe you've begun that journey, but along the way you recognize today for whatever the reasons you're not ready right now to finish with the Lord. Let's get it right. And let's live for the Lord. And whenever the Lord calls us home, let's be ready. A faithful soldier going home.